Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Okay, we'll continue with uh, the liberation on the issue of the restitution, the doctrine of restitution. That's why we'll continue this evening, and this is going to be part three. And uh, we do hope to round up in this particular section. Well, I'm very convinced that uh, if you have been present at the studies or you have had time to listen to them, it's very obvious as touching what the doctrine is and how that it doesn't fit into the ultimate plan of God for us in terms of New Testament believers. Praise God. Okay, so let's take the major text we had before this, which was Exodus 22, and verse number 3. Um, just number 3, in particular, just gives kind of summary of what restitution is. It said, if the sun be rising upon him... Okay, we took it from verse number... Let's go to verse 1. We read through to 3, verse 1. If a man shall steal an horse or a sheep, and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Verse 2, and it says, And if a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. Verse 3, If the sun be risen upon him, there shall not be blood shed for him, for he shall make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. Praise God. This is what we are saying. So the word restitution, essentially, like we find here, is to be kind of saved, to be restored in mind, whatever the case may be, to complete by implication, you steal the property, you ask to bring it back. And I try to explain to us that... As touching Exodus 21, 22, 23, all of the laws that we are given there by Moses were moral laws that were meant to build society as it were. Understanding again that Exodus 21, 22, 23, like we're talking about, you have to understand that God, that it's society that was in the work on a theocratic society. They will be ruled by God, so we have the spiritual aspect and the civil aspect. Like I said before, God was both the spiritual father or aspect of that, and the civil laws was also God. He was the civil ruler. So he gave them rules that they were supposed to use to guide themselves in the society. That is what restitution was ultimate all about, ultimately all about. He says, when act of restoring or the condition of being restored, it means the restoration of something to its original state, you know, or owner. So, understand these laws. And so, we find that, for instance, if we look at our society today, every believer in the first place, every believer is a dual citizen. You are first a citizen of God, and then, I mean, God's kingdom, and then a citizen of your country. Is that okay? And naturally we find that there are laws that uh, are made to be able to guide people that lives in the society. Praise the Lord. 
Yeah, and um, for instance, I was sharing with somebody on Tuesday, Monday, brother, and uh, I was making them to understand you, for instance, as a Nigerian, you cannot be judged with the laws of Cameroon, except you migrated to Cameroon, except you become a citizen of Cameroon. So you find that in the true sense, the Bible is not meant to judge those outside of the kingdom. Because this is our constitution. I don't know if I get in there. It's our constitution. It's not meant for those outside. You see, when God was speaking of the Joshua saying, or Moses, I said before you, life and death, choose life. He wasn't referring to somebody in the street was speaking to the household of faith. What he was telling them is believe the world so that you can live. I don't know if you're getting that. So you can't use that for instance to talk to somebody who is not in the faith. You can't. It's just like you see people have this debate of you must be born again as if it was used for a Gentile. No. Jesus used that word three times in John chapter 3. And he used it for a Jewish man who was a rabbi. Jesus never used the word you must be born again to a Gentile person in the street. He never used that. You understand what I mean? Right. So the Bible is not meant in the true sense. It's the constitution of the household of faith. It is you that is meant to practice what the word is. That's why he discovered that in Matthew chapter 8, I mean 18... Jesus was saying if a brother offend you, you go to the brother. If you refuse to, you understand, respond to make peace, call the elders of the court two or three. If they still refuse, call the elders of the church. And if you refuse to make peace, it should be treated as what? As an unbeliever. So what's the meaning of that? It means he was an unbelieving believer. He was supposed to be a believer. But he's not a believer. So what does it mean to be a believer? The believer is the one that obeys and walks with the words of God. The man in the street is dead. In fact, scripture refers to him as dead in sin and trespasses. So he can't respond to that. So you cannot say, I pray before you life and death. No. To him, he doesn't understand what they are saying. Because he has not heard anything about life. So when Joshua was saying that or whatever... He was speaking to the people that say, well, this is the word, Deuteronomy chapter 4 tells you that when you look at the world, I mean, practice the word, keep the word, the rest of the nation will say, oh, which nation is like this people that have God so close to them? You understand that? Good. It was to the household of faith that the word was written to, was not written to the Gentiles. So, as a citizen of God's kingdom and as a citizen of the natural kingdom, there are basic laws. I'm trying to say what God was doing with the children of Israel. He gave them basic laws that was guiding them as a constitution. Praise the living God. You follow what I mean there? Right. So, you have to understand it from that perspective. You are a dual citizenship. And this were meant then, in the true sense, to guide the people to have a serene society, to put people away from stealing or something. Part of what we're doing here is what you call all these things, have correctional centers prison, they change the name to correctional centers, right? It's just the same thing. But for them, no. We are not building anywhere you are going to have correctional centers. You steal, they kill you, you go. Wages of sin is dead. Just go. You understand that? Right. Just to have a certain society, so, but, you know, 
That is just it. And um, you have to understand this, like for instance, in the, the kingdom, as a citizen of a kingdom, you are treated with grace. Now, if you go to another country, you may not have the grace that you may have for being in another country. I don't know if you understand what I mean, right? We have to understand that when it comes to salvation, we are saved by grace, not what we do. So, in that sense, you can't be talking about restitution after being saved by grace. According to Ephesians chapter 2, praise the living God. Are you with me? Right. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that. Let's look at Ephesians 2, for instance. Um, verse number 7 and 8. If need be, let's just look at that. Ephesians 2, verse 7 and 8. Okay, go back to verse um, 5. Let's see. And then we'll read them. Verse, let's read verse 5. Even when you were dead in sin and transposit, had it quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. You can just stop there, if need be. By grace, ye are saved. Okay, go to the next thing. Let's take it up to verse 7. Take it to verse 5 in and verse 6. And had raised us up together and made us sit together with Christ in heavenly places, Christ Jesus. Right? Was the next thing. And he said, that in the ages to come, he might show the excellent riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So, here we understand that we are saved by grace not because of restitution that we did. We never did anything before we were saved. I don't know if you're getting that. Good. So, you can't tie restitution to grace. I mean, to, to, to being saved. That is exactly what I'm trying to say. Your past is gone. You did something very profound which I have to share. Yes, you can't be thinking about your past when it comes to the job of salvation. No. You are saved by grace. God is not looking at your past to save you. He's not thinking about who you have been before saving you. So you cannot think of doing restitution after being saved. God does not think about that at all. He's not considering that. Your past is dead and gone. And Paul will make this clear because go through the scripture, it will tell you that he was saved by grace. I mean, he was the worst of all sinners in terms of his killing, whatever. But he was saved. God never asked him to go and restitute anything with regard to his past life. Are you following that? So you can't bring restitution to the issue of grace. So when people get saved and they tell them to go and do restitution, like we try to analyze in our previous study, part two of this series, remember that it is practically impossible for you to restitute some of the things that you did before ever you got born again. Hallelujah. Yeah, because you see, let's even think about it. Uh, we have little children who can, almost everybody, you know, they go to the pot of soup to take a piece of meat sometimes. Is that okay? Right. You know. They have them to one soup. They try to test. They are testing. Women are very good at testing too, you know. Whether there's salt, whether there's enough onions on the meat. Huh? <laughs> a little bit goes to the mouth. Of course, you were not permitted to do that, so that is stealing. So now when you're born again, how are you going to do that? The meat you ate when you were young. That your mother didn't give to you. Because they're saying you restore the past. You can't restitute anything. Your past is your past. It's dead and gone. 
Praise God. So you can't tie restitution to what? Salvation. So we're going to answer a few questions, you know, kind of summarizing all that we're saying. Number one, is restitution needed in order to qualify for one's salvation? The answer is absolutely no. You don't need restitution to be saved. We mentioned that expressly in the part two. The thief on the cross was a thief. Amen? The Bible didn't say he was trying to be a thief or something. He was a thief. In fact, there were two thieves. He was a thief. But Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He didn't say, Okay, um, Mr. Man, yeah, you're going to be saved, so please come down and I'm going to use miracle to bring you down, go back and do restitution, come back, and then you go saved. Jesus didn't do that. He simply told him, Today thou art saved. You are saved. Praise the Lord. So, you don't need restitution to be saved. Like we just read, salvation is by grace. And it's a free gift. Praise God. Okay, look at um, Romans 10 verse 9. Romans 10 verse 9. Praise God. It said, Thou, if thou shalt confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus... And shall believe in the heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He didn't tell you to do anything. <laughs> Praise God. Are you following that? He never told you to do anything. If you can only confess and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. Praise God. And that is why the thief on the cross was saved because he simply meant, come on man, you can't say that. This man is a free man, you know. He didn't commit any crime, but remember two of us were actually criminals and so on and so forth. He confessed Jesus right there, you know. And he said, listen, sir, when you get to your kingdom, just remember me. I'm a, I'm a bad guy, but when you read there, just remember me. So today, thou shalt be saved. Amen, somebody. Praise God. He confessed Jesus. They believe Jesus got a kingdom. Believe he's got all the powers, and that's just all. So if you can confess with him out, he's not attaching anything for you to do to be saved. No. Just come just the way you are. That's how Jesus wants to receive you. Praise God. So, number two question. Is a Christian mandated to seek restitution so as to prove his salvation? Again, the answer is what? No. In other words, to prove that you're saved, therefore you want to do something. First, in other words, the way it is taught is such that, well, if you've been saved, yes, you have saved by grace. Now, how do you how do you prove that you are saved by grace? Then you have to do restitution. But there is no scripture to prove that fact that because you are saved and you, you want to make things right, you want to make th- I don't know how they even describe that. You want to put things right, you want to live at peace with God and man. Therefore, you got to go make restitution. That is not what the Bible teaches. Hallelujah. If you have to do that, if you want to do restitution, like I mentioned last week, reading from the book of Leviticus chapter chapter 6, 1 to 7, we may not have the time to go there, but I mentioned that to you. But let's look at Exodus 22, 1 to 4. As according to the law, Exodus 22, 1 to 4, this is what it says. If a man shall steal, like I said before, remember that? 
We read this before initially. Is that okay? Now if you go down the scriptures and then you come to the point again like in Leviticus he said you have to take a ram without blemish. You remember that? Good. You want to do restitution going by the law you have to take a ram together because you are ministering to two dimensions like I said the spiritual and the civil. So the civil is okay, you are taking what is told back. The spiritual is that you have to offer a ram without blemish. That's the way it was practiced. You mentioned to two sides. That's restitution. One is towards God, one is towards man. That's the way it is. But you can't practice that in the New Testament. That is not part of what the Bible says you have to do to be saved or to prove that you are saved. Praise the Lord. All right. So first of all, we know that this is not possible. We can practice that. We are no longer under the law. We can practice that. We are free from the law. We know that. So Galatians 3 verse 10, for instance. Galatians 3 verse number 10. And that's what he said. Galatians 3 10. The system is gone. Praise the Lord. So if you look at Galatians 3 10, that's what he said. For as many of the works of the law are under the cause, for this reading cause is everyone that continue not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, here is the issue. Of the 419 or whatever laws that were given to the children of Israel. And the Bible says if you broke one of these laws, you're breaking all of them. So this is the way it works. Assuming you're keeping all the laws. You've kept them to about 300 faithfully. And you broke one. You have to go back to start all over. Because all that you've been doing before is washed away. You have to start all over afresh. And start working again. You understand that? So it is not possible in the first place to keep the laws. And so because we are not under the law, you cannot tell us to do restitution, which was assuming to be part of the law, which was the civil legal part of the Jewish people. Praise the living God. Okay. On the ground of um, what I would call interpersonal relationship, should a Christian seek restitution? In other words, because that's what... You know, I, read, I wrote something on the issue of restitution and somebody said it has to do with um, what you do so that you can have peace with God and man but you don't need restitution to have peace with God and man what you need to have peace with God and man is the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus that's what you need praise God hallelujah so this is the only thing I think it depends. It's not the basis for justification, but if you want to do that, you can. But not because it's required for you to be justified. No. But if you feel led to go and make confession to somebody that you stole the property from, you can do that if you want to. If you feel you want to do that for your conscience to be clear, whichever way you want to describe that, no problem. But know that the Bible required you to do that. Praise God. Are you there? 
So it's not a basis of restitution, I mean justification. No, we are justified by the sacrifice of, of Jesus. Praise the Lord. So, but if you want to make amends with people that you think you hurt, now you become a Christian, you want to be a relationship. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But not because the Bible required it. And on the other hand, you have to be careful when you're doing that. Because if you go and make some crazy restitution to some people, and they finally discover that you did that harm to them, I'm not sure you'll be safe. You may probably not come out of that confession alive. You have to be careful. Yes. You understand what I mean? Praise the living God. All right. In the case of, for instance, if you have somebody that is about 60 years old, like I said that before last week, and this person don't have about three wives with grown-up children, who are married, they got about grandchildren, and now he's born again. Will you ask him to do restitution? That's a question I'm trying to ask, and I'm going to answer that. Because that was the same thing that uh, a lot of people, I mentioned at the very beginning, and they used Genesis 20 to try to establish that. Case of Abimelech and who? And Abraham. You remember that? Right. And we know that it didn't fall into place. It didn't work because we tried to establish the fire from scripture. Abimelech never slept with, uh, with Sarah, so they have nothing in common. Number two, God told Abimelech to send Sarah to Abraham, the husband. And so if anybody is sending the wife away, we may want to know who you are sending that woman to. Right? And then we must also establish the fact that the person you are sending the woman to should pray for you. So if you cannot get all of those things together, then your exercise is religious. Nothing to do with the word of God. Hallelujah. Now, Paul was giving instructions with regard this. So let's look at 1 Timothy 3 verse number 2. 1 Timothy 3 verse number 2. He said, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, giving to hospitality, up to teach. Conditions or qualification to become a bishop. Let's read again. First Timothy 3 verse 12. First Timothy 3 12. Let the dickens be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own what? House well. Two categories of people, the bishop and the dickens. By the way, let me explain something to you. Um... You know, when you use the word bishop today, something really comes to your mind. But you see, the word bishop actually means a pastor. We ecclesiastically make it high with some garment and all that. You see, Timothy was a pastor. And Paul is saying, ordained bishop. So you see, the true sense is pastors that ordain bishops. Not bishop or donning pastors. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. 
want to follow the scripture. How many of you understand that? According to the scripture, Judas Iscariot was a bishop. You remember that? Yeah, he said, let his bishop speak another man take. So he was a bishop. So bishop doesn't mean the man with big heart. Biblically speaking, bishop simply means a pastor. I think I get in there. Now, here in this city, which is like Ephesus, um, it was a crazy city from a years ago. The church in this city was about a thousand plus people, so it was a mega church. And in Ephesus, before now, there was a worship of the goddess Diana. And one of the major requirements for the worship of this goddess was sexual immorality. As a matter of fact, there were girls or ladies who have consecrated themselves to the worship of goddess Diana. And then they have their temple up in the hill. And they come down and they reverence them because there were people who were now consecrated to the worship of the goddess Diana. And that is why Paul was right. He said, no ye know that you are the temple of God. He was referring to that temple and saying, that temple you stay in there where you do all your prostitution in the name of worshiping that God. You have to understand that you are the real temple of God, not that one. That's what he said, no ye know that you are the temple of God. That's the background to that statement. Are you following what I'm saying now? Right. So now in this city, with this big church, a mega church as it were, you find that Paul ministered here so, and then Timothy now was pastoring this big church, in quote. And then there were some people who were there, they have all their wives, you know, because you can't be a true worshiper of the goddess Diana and be kind of single, in quote, as a man. You just... You have your wives, and then you may have some side chicks, whatever the case may be. Right. Now, all these people came in now, repented, and they came to the Lord. And now they come to the place of being very zealous. And they were trying to say, oh, I would like to be a pastor. You understand that? Are you following the story? Okay, so Paul and I say, it's like Timothy had this issue. Perhaps he has to reference Paul and say, this is what I'm facing. What must I do? And Paul was not saying, okay, this is what you should do. Anyone that wants to be a pastor, let him be a husband of one wife. By implication, those who are already having two, three wives, let them stay there. Let them not be the pastor. Why he was saying that? Because if you are a polygamous man, you are likely to have problems all the time. You know what I'm talking about. You know what happened in your society. In terms of polygamous situation. So that's why in this place said anyone that wants to be a deacon should be able to rule his house well. So it's easy to manage one woman with one children than marrying two or three. But he never told anybody to send any of those women away. I don't think I good at what I'm saying. Yeah. What he's saying is okay, fine. Let him not be a pastor. But it's going to still be in the church just the way God has called you. That's the application that Paul gave to Timothy. Are you following what I'm talking about? Praise the living God. 
Yesterday I traveled and uh, in the course of discussion, I began to realize that one of my friends, a very strong man in his ministry, right? Good. But I never knew that he was polygamous. But one of the major ministries in this country, that's where he belonged. He's not holding any office. And Bible didn't say send them away. Are you following what I'm saying? Because people teach that as restitution. I'm saying it's absolutely wrong. It's not biblical injection to teach that. Praise the Lord. So this is what was happening in the church in Ephesus. I want you to get it and it's very important. Like I said, this was about like a mega church. Right. So these guys were desiring to be leaders, pastors and deacons and Paul. Now this is the condition. This is what you tell the people to be. Praise the living God. That was the criteria. The criteria I give to them is, you want to be a pastor, marry one wife. You already had one, don't have another one. Is that okay? Praise the living God. You know, somebody, sometimes this kind of a thing will look like, are you giving rules for people too? I'm not giving you rules for anybody. What the Bible says is this. You come in without being married, you marry one, stay there. But if you repented after some long years of you living on the earth and you already got about three or four wives, the Bible didn't say send anyone anywhere. Did you get the difference? You are coming in, coming just the way you are. You are in, don't go back to do anything else. Stay where you are. Praise the Lord. Okay, I need you to get that. Okay, so the issue is as long as you have more than one wife, you know, before coming in, you don't, you don't have to serve as a bishop or as a deacon. But it doesn't prevent you from being part of the church. That is the emphasis I'm laying. Because those who teach restitution in this regard, they will tell you, send one wife away. I give you an illustration the, the last time when we started it. A friend of mine, you know, how the father and the mother were separated when they joined the church. The father had two wives, and the younger wife was the one that did formality for, if I may use the word, the first one they came together, did one or two things, but not going to the extent which we did it in the last one. And by the time they came to the Lord, the congregation told them the last one is the original wife, the first wife will be sent away. And that woman is older, had already children were finished investing, and it was sent away. She was sent away. And I called the friend, this is my very good friend. And I call him and say, this thing you are doing, are you thinking straight anyway? So, well, that's what the church says and all that. Now I say, okay, now they are sending your mother out of your father's house. Where is she going to? And what life is she going to live? And again, they will tell you, you can't go out, you can't get married, as long as your husband is still alive. So you send this woman into the street just like that. She can't get married and whatever the case may be, and then he was telling me, well, you see, the mother obeyed and the father, they obeyed the scripture, so they are all going to heaven. I told him, something is wrong with your thinking. You understand that? Something is wrong with your thinking. You find the same thing going. Just a bright up there, some few years back, I, there was this pastor, he was a pastor in one of the big churches, I don't want to mention names. And so, 
But the woman started on manner of attitude, whatever, and in fact, she left the home because she felt that maybe the money was not enough and all that. Left the home. Went out and just started living her life like that. Bright hope that they were together there. I knew them. Now, at the end of the day, what happened? The man said, well, he wants to get married. The church said, you can't get married as long as that woman is still alive. And the man said, but she left the house. And you know exactly what happened. He said, yeah, that's, they know that, yes, that's what happened. But as long as she is alive, you can't get married to somebody else. And the man said, oh, oh, I'm not going to keep this one. You take your church, I'm going out. I want to get married and start my life fresh. So he left the church. Now you can't blame the man because that rule doesn't make sense. I don't know if you are getting that. Praise the living God. Alright. And I, I gave you that story sometime ago where one of the person I was counseling with was praying negative prayer for the husband to die so that she can be free to get married. She caused a divorce in the family. You understand that? Yeah. Now, well, now she was praying because of that doctrine that the man should die. So that she can be free to remarry. And I was counseling with her, and then the spirit minister to me asked her, What are you trying to say? What are you praying about? Don't you think this thing you're praying about is even more dangerous than the divorce that you have? You understand that? Praise the living God. So, this is the kind of doctrines that are abetting the church entirely and putting a lot of people in bondage. They don't understand what it means to walk under grace. So Apostle Paul gave insight here into the general principles of how this works. You know, with as far as that church was concerned, this is what you should do. Praise the living God. So he simply was trying to say, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain there. Let's look at First uh, Corinthians 7 and uh, NLT verse 17. First Corinthians 7 Verse 17 NLT. Each of you should continue, and I want you to do that, to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you. And remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. Very simple. Did you get that? Stay there. It is there do anything about it. Just the way God called you. So, apart to solve all this problem, he begin to give this instruction to the churches. But I think we are violating even some of these things today. Meaning, the issues that Paul was trying to resolve, we've brought them back into the church. By our teachings, by our beliefs. Praise the living God. Look at verse 20. 1 Corinthians 7.20 NLT Yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Simple definition. Is that in the Bible? (laughs) Praise the living God. Each of you should remain the same when God called you. He didn't say do anything about it. He didn't say send some people away. Amen. So all these things were in the church. That's why Paul began to write all these letters to those churches. Praise the living God. Alright. So. The implication of what he said is. 
Each one of us is responsible to God when He called us, and we should remain in the situation wherein He has called us. Don't do nothing about your condition. Hallelujah. Look at verse 24. 1 Corinthians 7 24 NIV or whatever the case may be. 24. Each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were when God first called you. I mean, imagine the emphasis he gave on this. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, verse 24, and on and on. You understand that? 2024. 20, Three verses, he was stressing this point. You can see how serious, I mean, this matter was to Paul. And because of maybe some of these doctrines were going on at that time. So Paul was making sure these things were properly corrected for the body of Christ. But I'm trying to say, for our sisters and brothers who are, who've gone out teaching something else, I don't know if they are reading these passages of the Bible. I have no idea if they are reading them. And for those who want to practice these things, I don't know if they are reading this Bible as well for themselves. That's why doctrine is such a delicate thing that if you don't actually stay under the covering of a person who can teach you right doctrine, your behavior will be completely useless, even to God. Praise the living God. Are you following that? Right. So he said, in whatever condition that you've been called, you've got to remain there. By implication, like I said before, if you were an alhaji, and then you became a Christian, and you know, you know allergies, you gotta go out as long as you can feed them. So let's assume that an allergy became a believer and they have got three wives. God is not asking you to do anything about that condition, just come in. The only thing He's trying to say is do not assume the office of a pastor or a deacon. But that you have three wives doesn't mean you're not gonna to go to heaven. No. Come just the way you are. Praise the living God. This is Bible doctrine. This is what Paul said. And that is what the Holy Spirit approved as far as the scripture is concerned. Look at the last verse of this passage. Let me show you something. The last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Last verse. In my opinion, it would be better for her to stay single. And I think, now he was trying to give a condition. So let's go back a little bit. I'm just thinking there, but there's something I want you to pick there. Um, go up again to verse, uh, maybe two more verses. Let's see if we can pick it from there. 37. Okay. Okay, still go back a bit. Let's see. 35. Let's take it from verse 35. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. He's talking about marriage. Remember, go down. And he says, but if a man think that he is treating his fiancée improperly and we inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes it. it is not a sin. You go down to read, you understand what I'm trying to say. What's the next thing he says? But he have decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency and he can control his passion he does well not to marry we're talking about singles is that okay 
Good. What's the next thing? So the person who marries his fiancée does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better. There's a reason you give that. Go down a little bit. The wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. This is not what they are quoting. If her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. Are you following that? Now this is a portion that they quit now. Except your wife dies or your husband dies. You understand that? Okay. Go to the next thing. Paul is still talking here. But in my opinion, it would be better for her to stay single. And I think I am giving you cancer from God's spirit when I say this. You understand that? Now, if you take it from the King James, there's a way it is presented in the King James. Look at the King James. Praise the Lord. King James said, But she is happier if she is abide, I mean she abide after my judgment. And I think also that I have what? The Spirit of God. You see that? So now, the reason I have to read this last portion for you, which is verse 48, is this. Verse 40. What is that supposed to mean? He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. What Paul is saying here, if you go up to read down, you're going to say, God did not tell me what I'm telling you now. I'm saying this from my own counsel and I know as it were that I have what? The spirit of God. Now they found that the Holy Spirit allowed the word to be written shows that the Holy Spirit flowed through the counsel of who? Of, of Paul. So he discovered that sometimes people could be talking to you. You may be wondering if they are actually speaking from the mind of God or as the case may be. Those who have a work with God. They can be just talking to you. They can't see they are speaking and giving to you. They are actually the work of the Holy Spirit. A couple was coming to me for counsel a few months ago. And the, the man told the woman, said, anything the man tells you, take it. I know how he speaks. That's what he said. And by the time he came and I finished with the counsel, the Lord gave me a word and I shared the word with them. And by the time they left, the woman was saying, this is your pastor. I'm surprised about him. He was just talking and laughing and joking. And he said, that's exactly what I was telling you. He that is joined to the Lord is what? One spirit. So even in your jokes, you could be releasing spirituality. You could be, because it's why we talk about walking supernaturally. It is not just doing signs and wonders. Your daily life, you can be walking supernaturally. Speaking the mind of God. Releasing things from the spirit. Even though you are just cracking jokes. You understand what I'm talking about? That's how to walk in the supernatural. Not just signs, wonders, and miracles. No. Everybody is meant to walk in the supernatural. And you can do that. Once your mind is fixed on the Lord. Once your thoughts are in the Lord. You can be flowing from the mind of God. You're giving counsel to people. It is like the oracle of God. Like we used to talk about this guy that was uh, Ahitophet. You know, he said, when he speaks, it's like the oracle of God. And that's exactly what it is. By the time you are so united with the Spirit of God, you're talking to people, you're speaking the mind of God. Right at that spot. Why? Because he's that he joined to the Lord. It's one Spirit. Paul said, I know I have the Spirit of God. 
Even though what I'm talking about to you seems like I'm the one saying it because I'm not referencing any book. I'm not referencing any of those uh, written down whatever document. I know I have the spirit of God. This is what God wants done right now. And what's the meaning of that? The one that Paul said he think finally came into the scripture as canonized world that we can use today to lead our lives. So what am I trying to say in conclusion? Restitution is not a practice for Christians because we are saved by grace. God is not requiring you, you to do anything after you've been saved. It's not thinking about your past and it doesn't want you to think about your past. You should have a free conscience when you come to the Lord. Knowing that he picked you when you were very dirty and he's not thinking about you bringing yourself. You can clean yourself. What people do in terms of restitution is like they try to clean their past so that they can have a bright future. But you can't do that because you were a mess when God picked you up. If you take time to read Ezekiel 36, you see what I'm talking about. When God picked up the children of Israel, remember that? So I picked you up, I washed you, I cleaned you up, I clothed you. You understand that? There's nothing you could do about yourself. You must understand what Jesus said. Except the Lord draws a man, no man can come unto me. By implication to God's spirit that makes you to be, come to the place of saying, Jesus is Lord. It's true, the spirit of the world. I mean, of God. You can't of yourself make any decision to come to God. Praise the living God. Are you following that? So it is God's grace that makes you or gets you saved. God witnessed your spirit and ministered to your spirit. He gave you inspiration. You were able to move towards God. For no man can come unto me except the Lord does what? Draw him. You have to understand the estimate of Jesus. Praise the living God. Yeah. So God draws you. He's not asking you to think about your past. If it is true God that you got saved, then your past has nothing to do with your future. Your past have not to do with your son right now. You can't be thinking about that. Praise the living God. Your past is your past. is dead and gone. is buried as God will speak to Joshua. Now my servant Moses is dead. Take a new walk. That's all. Praise the living God. So you are saved by grace. Your life is clean, pure. God have nothing to do with your past. You are justified through the blood of Jesus. God just wants you to relax and enjoy his presence. Enjoy his goodwill. Anytime, anywhere. You can't be thinking of a past and be sorrowful. No, he wants you to live in joy. Your past is dead and gone. Buried with your old man. Right with resurrection. Into a newness of life. Right now, with all your faculties being synchronized through the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit, looking at the righteousness and the goodness of God. And Jesus becoming your wisdom, your justification, your righteousness. There is nothing to do to become more righteous than what Jesus has done. Praise God, somebody. All right, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.